Welcome to the Hollow Sky Podcast. We are your hosts, Steven and Kyle. And we're here to talk about some creepy stuff with you. Uh, welcome back, Kyle. What's up, Steve? Nothing. How's your week? Sucked. Mm, same. Mostly because of work. Yeah. Any uh, creepy stuff happen? Nope. What about you? No. But now that we got that established. Our lives are pretty dull. Yeah. So that's why we need you listeners to call in and email us and tell us creepy stuff. Mostly just call in though. Yeah, you can definitely call in. That'd be dope. Or use your little uh, voice recorder app on your phones there. Yeah, do that too. That one's pretty easy. Which we've gotten a new one of those that we'll play in the near future for you guys. Yeah, we are we are starting to gain a little ground on the call-ins and stuff, so that's cool. Keep them coming. Yeah, it helps. So, that being said, we'll get through the business. If you want to check us out, we're on all social media platforms. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Just search up the Hollow Sky Podcast and it will bring you to us also we have a phone number that you can call if you would like to leave us a story it's going to be one eight seven seven eight zero zero hollow that's one eight seven seven eight zero zero four six five six call in leave us your experience it records for five minutes if you go past that five minutes, simply call back and pick up where you left off and Kyle edit it together. You can also email us if you'd like to do it that way at the hollow sky podcast at gmail.com and leave us your story that way. And we will feature it on an upcoming episode. Now we need to go through some reviewers that have left us five star reviews. Oh yeah. 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 If you listen to us on iTunes, Please go and rate and review the show. Uh, it helps us get our name out there. helps us push up the charts. makes us more available to people who use iTunes. So, if you go there, I mean, you don't have to leave us a five-star. If you don't like the show, leave us a one-star. Or don't leave us anything. Yeah, tell us what we can be better at. Yeah. So, today, this following little two weeks or whatever, we have two new five-star ratings and reviews. And we're going to shout them out. First one is Devin2311. Thanks for the kind words, Devin. Yeah, we really appreciate it. And the second one is Fancy62629. Also awesome. Thank you for checking us out and leaving the good word. And that brings us to our listener experience for the day. Today we have Lindsay's story from Missouri, so I'm going to jump right into that. Um, it's kind of an ongoing story. We've been in touch with her back and forth, and... Um, we're going to get this started and see where it goes. So this is Lindsay's story. My fiancé and I moved into a rental house in Crystal City in the very beginning of November 2018. During the move, I'd heard carousel music coming from an upstairs bedroom. Fast forward to a month of living in the house, we would hear shuffling coming from the room above us while watching TV. Almost every night while trying to fall asleep, fiancé would already be asleep, I would lay there frozen in fear while the staircase, the staircase would creak. Mind you, this is way after the steps have already been settled in from us walking up and down them. I hear every single step creak all the way up and shuffle on the carpet to our bedroom door, stop, turn around, and creak back down to the bottom of the stairs, 
and would sound like they were swaying back and forth in one spot. This happens a lot. While he's home alone, he'll, he will hear banging around and shuffling. We hear voices that are in different ranges and frequencies to where we can't make out what they're saying, but we do know it's both male and female. We were one day watching TV and we heard a noise from the kitchen. I got up to check and found a measuring cup that I set down at least one minute prior, being in a totally different spot. I had one of those dreamlike states where I wasn't fully awake but not asleep, either of a man shaking me uncontrollably. My fiancé had to grab me with force, saying I was shaking as though I was having a seizure. We had a couple friends stay the night, and they will probably never stay the night again because they heard our stairs creaking, stomping up the steps like crazy. And last night we had a bo- our box fan, which is pretty loud. I was awoken from a dead sleep to our door creaking open, footsteps creaking all the way to the side of my bed, and I got a wave of heavy energy over me, followed by very deep growling. I, of course, pinched myself to double check and make sure I was I was awake, which I was, of course. The energy was so strong, I got very nauseous. Random cold spots happen all the time as well. I should mention that our house is almost 100 years old, and across the road from Truman Boulevard is a giant cemetery. I'm actually from Jerseyville and moved to Missouri about four years ago. I've dealt with this paranormal situation since November, and it's put a damper on my well-being and personality. I've contacted a paranormal research group from Arnold, Missouri that will soon be coming over hopefully within the next week to investigate and I will gladly keep you guys updated throughout the process. And that is Lindsay's story. Well, Lindsay, I'll give you a woot woot for uh, being from the old hometown Jerseyville. Yep, shout out to the Jville. <laughs> What's up? But uh there's a couple things in your story that are interesting. Uh the the growling over top of you is rather disturbing. That's usually not a very good sign as far as I would take it. You know, maybe, and maybe some of these things that are happening to you could possibly leech over from the cemetery. You know, that's always a possibility. And then the fact that it's a hundred year old house. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to dispute that you don't have anything going on because it definitely sounds like you do. And the fact that there are other people that are experiencing, her fiance is experiencing stuff, the friends they had stay over, experience stuff. So right. there's definitely something going on with the house. And the last time I talked to her, she said that she had the uh, investigators come over for like a preliminary type thing, and they agreed that there's definitely something going on there. And they were supposed to come back later on to actually do their full investigation. So we haven't heard back from her since, but we're going to try to keep in touch and see if what we can find out. And as far as in the beginning of your story, whenever you were talking about footsteps coming up the stairs into your door and what have you, that stuff happens in my house from time to time because we have a hardwood floor in the, in the hallway and every once in a while, you'll be laying in bed, getting ready to go to sleep, and you'll just hear a crack, crack, like somebody's walking across the floor. And it doesn't matter if the floor is settled or the stairs settled. It doesn't matter. No matter who you are, it freaks you out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Disembodied footsteps is not a, not a fun thing to hear, especially at no. night when you're trying to go to sleep or it wakes you up. Yeah, and then and then after that, it puts you in kind of like a hyper-awareness state. Where you just start, Terror. yeah, you just start paying attention to every little thing that goes on. 
So I can't, I can relate with you in that aspect of, you know, being freaked out over some noises and, but it sounds like yours are a little more in depth than mine. I'm not trying to chalk yours off or anything like that. So I'm just trying to relate a little bit. Um, I'm wondering, did you have anything happen to you before you moved into the house or is it just specifically to this new house that you're living in? Cause usually whenever you hear of a, of a ghost type entity encounter, you kind of wonder if the person's haunted or if the location's haunted where it sounds like here more of a location kind of thing. Cause it's affecting many different people. But it's just a question I like to throw out there. Did, did did any of this stuff happen, like, say, when you were back in Jerseyville, living in Jerseyville? Was this was this a thing you had to deal with, or is it just pretty much from moving into the new location? So, if you would hit us back, kind of touch base on some of our questions, and let us know if that investigation has happened yet, we would definitely love to know um, what the investigators found out. And from you if anything else is, has come about. So hit it back up and let us know what's going on. So for our case tonight that I'm bringing to the table, it's one that I've read about for a while. And I'm not necessarily sure there's anything paranormal going on or any sort of conspiracy going on, but the case is just creepy. Like right. it's, If I were in these people's shoes, it would freak me out. I'm with you there. So I'm going to call this Who's Watching 657 Boulevard. So bear with me. It's a long read, but I want the information to get out there and see what everybody thinks about it. It is a bizarre story, to say the least. So here we go. One night in June 2014, Derek Brodus had just finished an evening painting at his new home in Westfield, New Jersey. When he went outside to check the mail, Derek and his wife Maria had closed on the six-bedroom house at 657 Boulevard three days earlier when they were doing, and they were doing some renovations before they moved in, so there wasn't much in the mail except a few bills and a white card-shaped envelope. It was addressed in thick, chunky handwriting to the new owner, and typed inside the, note, the type inside the note began warmly. Dearest new neighbor at 657 Boulevard, allow me to welcome you to the neighborhood. For the Brodus's, buying 657 Boulevard had fulfilled a dream. Maria was raised in Westfield, and the house was a few blocks from her childhood home. Derek grew up working in the working class in Maine, then moved his way up the ladder at an insurance company in Manhattan to become a senior vice president with a salary large enough that he could afford the $1.3 million house. The Brodus's had bought 657 Boulevard just after Derek celebrated his 40th birthday, and their three kids were already debating which of the houses fireplaces Santa Claus would use. But as Derek kept reading the letter from his new neighbor, it took a turn. How did you end up here? The writer asked. Did 657 Boulevard call to you with its force within? The letter went on. 657 has been the subject of my family for decades now, and as it approaches its 110th birthday, I've been put in charge of watching and waiting for its second coming. My grandfather watched the house in the 1920s. My father watched the house in the 1960s. It's now my time. Do you know the history of the house? Do you know what lies within its walls? Why are you here? I will find out. The author's reconnaissance had apparently already begun. The letter identified the Brodus's Honda minivan as well as the workers renovating the home. Quote, I already see that you have flooded 657 Boulevard with contractors so that you can destroy the house as it was supposed to be. The person wrote 
tsk, 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 that's a bad move. You don't want to make 657 Boulevard unhappy. Earlier in the week, Derek and Maria had gone to the house and chatted with their new neighbors while their children, who were 5, 8, and 10 years old, ran around the backyard with several kids from the neighborhood. The letter writer seemed to have noticed. You have children. I've seen them. So far, I think there are three that I've counted, the anonymous correspondent wrote, before asking if there were more on the way. Do you need to fill the house with young blood as I requested? Better for me. Was your old house too small for the growing family? Or was it greed to bring me your children? Once I know their names, I'll call to them and draw them to me. The envelope had no return address. Who am I, the person wrote. There are hundreds and hundreds of cars that drive by 657 Boulevard each day. Maybe I'm in one. Look at all the windows you can see from 657 Boulevard. Maybe I'm in one of those. Look out any of the many windows in the 657 Boulevard at all the people who stroll by each day. Maybe I'm one. The letter concluded with a suggestion that this message would not be the last. Welcome, my friends. Welcome. Let the party begin. Followed by a signature typed in a cursive font, The Watcher. So, that's the first letter, Kyle. That's How, the first letter? The first letter. Awesome. How does that make you feel? Not good. At first, it didn't seem bad because it was very warm and cordial. Yeah, like, hey, it's cool. It's, Welcome to the neighborhood. It's so strange, though, because, like you say in the beginning, there's not much paranormal to it, but then the way they start to talk about how, uh, you know, bringing fresh blood. Young blood, that's bizarre. Yeah, and then then uh, talk about calling to the children to lure them in. Do you know what's inside the walls of this house? Like, that's... I don't Some know. weird shit. Yeah, it's and I've heard, I've read stories involving mirrors and walls and such, but but then it then it also backtracks because then it goes to there are all these cars that drive by. I could be in one of those. They're looking the windows of the neighboring houses. I could be there. He's really toying with the parental side of their emotion, like yeah. Like he's talking about the kids and he knows how many kids there are. Are there more kids on the way? Like you said, let me call the kids. And then uh, he self-titles himself at the end. He gives himself the name, which is even more bizarre. So either he's thought of this for quite some time or it's not the first time he's done this. Yeah, that's... It's... It's a creepy way to start off. And then being an- in the neighborhood. Another thing that strikes me was how he said you don't want to make whatever the address is mad. Yeah, like like the address itself. He's referring itself. to the house as an entity. Yes. It's a bit That's bizarre. A little bit on the bizarre side to say the least. Well, just wait because he's not done. Sweet. All right. Back to it. It was after 10 p.m. and Derek Brodus was alone. He raced around the house, turning off lights so no one could see inside. Then he called the Wakefield Police Department. An officer came to the house, read the letter, and said, What the fuck is this? He asked Derek if he had any enemies and recommended moving a piece of construction equipment from the back porch in case the watcher tried to toss it through a window. Derek rushed back to his wife and kids, who were living at their old house elsewhere in Westfield. That night, Derek and Maria wrote an email to John and Andrea Woods, the couple who sold them 657 Boulevard, to ask if they had any idea who the watcher might be 
or why he or she had written. I asked the Woods to bring me young blood, and it looks like they listened. Andrea Woods replied the next morning. A few days before moving out, the Woods had received a letter from the Watcher. The note had been odd, she said, and made similar mention of the Watcher's family observing the house over time, but Andrea said she and her husband had never received anything like it in their 23 years in the house and had thrown the letter away without much thought. That day, the Woods went with Maria to the police station where Detective Leonard Lugo told her not to tell anyone about the letters, including her new neighbors, most of whom she had never met and all of whom were now suspects. The Brodesses spent the coming weeks on high alert. Derek canceled a work trip, and whenever Maria took the kids from their new house, she would yell their names if they wandered into a corner of the yard. When Derek gave a tour of the renovation to a couple on the block, he froze when the wife said, It'll be nice to have some young blood in the neighborhood. The Brodus's general contractor arrived one morning to find a heavy sign he'd hammered into the front yard had been completely ripped out overnight. Two weeks after the letter arrived, Maria stopped by the house to look at some paint samples and check the mail. She recognized a thick, the thick black lettering on a card-shaped envelope and called the police. Welcome again to your new home at 657 Boulevard, the watcher wrote. The workers have been busy and I've been watching you unload carfuls of your personal belongings. The dumpster's a nice touch. Have they found what's in the walls yet? In time they will. This time the watcher had addressed Derek and Maria directly, misspelling their name as Mr. and Mrs. Braddis. Had the watcher been close enough to hear one of the Brodus's contractors addressing them? The watcher boasted of having learned a lot about the family in the preceding weeks, especially about their children. The letter identified the Brodus's three kids by birth order and their nicknames, the ones Maria had been yelling. I am pleased to know your names now and the name of the young blood you brought to me. It said, you certainly say their names often. The letter asked about one ch child in particular, whom the writer had seen using an easel inside the enclosed por porch. Is she the artist in the family? The letter continued, 657 Boulevard is anxious for you to move in. It's been years and years since young blood ruled the hallways of this house. Have you found all the secrets it holds yet? Will the young blood play in the basement? Or are they too afraid to go down there alone? I would be very afraid if I were them. It's far away from the rest of the house. If you were upstairs, you'd never hear them scream. Well, will they sleep in the attic? Or will you all sleep on the second floor? Who has the bedrooms facing the street? I'll know as soon as you move in. It will help me to know who is in which bedroom. Then I can plan better. All of the windows and doors in 657 Boulevard allow me to watch you and track you as you move throughout the house. Who am I? I'm the watcher and I've been in control of 657 Boulevard for the better part of two decades now. The Woods family turned it over to you. It was their time to move on and kindly sold it when I asked them to. I pass by many times a day. 657 Boulevard is my job, my life, my obsession. And now you are too, Brodus family. Welcome to the product of your greed. Greed is what brought the past three families to 657 Boulevard, and now it has brought you to me. Have a happy moving in day. You know I'll be watching. Maria, Derek and Maria stopped bringing their kids to the house, and they were no longer sure when or if they'd move in. Several weeks later, the third letter arrived. So now you got letter two, Kyle. It's even worse. Yeah, it definitely gets worse. <laughs> definitely gets worse. I don't know. Like We're going over this. My brain is cutting into two pieces. The first piece is kind of like this is some 
dick. Yeah. But he's, I don't know, it's almost like he's, he was put as almost like a caretaker for a house that is more than a house. And he obviously knows a lot about the house because he knows the layout of the home. He knows where all the bedrooms are. He knows where all the windows are. So that puts him in the neighborhood regardless. And then being that he doesn't work, you would almost think that he was an elderly person or someone who had inherited a lot of money and doesn't have to work. work. And then there's the other part of me that, or not to mention, he also talks about the basement and the secrets that the house hold or holds. And then he's mentioned the walls several times, whatever the hell's in the walls. Hey, Hollow Colt, the weather's getting nice. And you know what that means? It's cryptid hunting season. And the first rule to cryptid hunting is good footwear. That's why we're excited to announce our partnership with Tacovis Boots. When you're out hunting the dogman or stalking Chupacabra, you don't have time to break in boots. That's why Tacovis is so nice. They have first wear comfort. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with their styles when you're out hunting cryptids. And let me tell you, their styles are on point. I've always considered getting me a pair of snakeskin boots, and their pair is mint. They also have crocodile boots, caiman boots, ostrich boots, regular leather boots. They they have it all, and it's re- it's ridiculously awesome. You can even stop by their the local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized and with regular live music and events there's no in-store experience like it so just imagine yourself getting a pair of legitimate snakeskin hollow sky branded boots how awesome would that be nothing is going to intimidate a dog man like a nice pair of gator skin boots if you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. So then, you know, you cut the other part of my brain and it almost makes it sound like this dude is a psychopath killer because he also says, for what I'm planning. It makes more planning easier, whatever he says. So he's premeditating something. Now is he just deranged and has this entire backstory in his head? Or is he going to off this family to quote unquote sacrifice to the house, feed to the house, however you want to, you know, lay that out. And he's he's almost making direct threats to the children, like kind of yeah. kind of backhandedly like, "Oh, if they play in the basement, you'll never hear them scream." That's what I'm yeah, and it, it's almost like he's uninterested in the adults. Yeah. Like the kids are his focus. Yes. The young blood is his focus. And then did it I forget, did it say if the woods had any kids? Uh, did not make mention. But so yeah. he said he asked the woods to bring them young blood. Right. So that puts me in the assumption that the woods did not have kids. So that would most likely explain as to why they didn't get any more letters. Yeah. Makes sense. It does make makes sense. sense. And it's that's 
And then he also says he's been in charge of it for two decades now. Yeah. Isn't that about the time frame the woods were living there? 23 years. Right. A lot of weird uh, synchronicities. Yeah, and and when the the neighbors that came over, you know, the woman neighbors, like, oh, it's nice to have new young blood in the neighborhood. Right. Weird. Maybe it, maybe this is on a community level, not just. That's that's what I one. think. The deeper it gets into this, it's like this could be. A, anyway, anyway, you have to make the call for yourself. We're gonna keep going because it's there. It there's a lot going on. Get it. So at this point, Derek and Maria have stopped even bringing the kids to the house. They don't want the kids near there. They don't want any part of it. That's when a few weeks later, the third letter arrived. Where have you gone to? The watcher wrote. 657 Boulevard is missing you. From this point, we're going to take a look at Westfield as a town. You know, like, what goes on in this town that they bought 657. Many residents of Westfield compare their town to Mayberry, idyllic scene from the Andy Griffith show. Uh, The kind of place where new neighbor might greet you with a welcoming note. Westfield's 45 minutes from New York. It's a bit too slow for a single life, meaning the town's 30,000 residents are largely well-to-do families. This year, Bloomberg ranked Westfield as the 99th richest city in America, but only the 18th wealthiest city in New Jersey. And in 2014, when the watcher struck, the website Neighborhood Scout named it the country's 30th safest town. The most pressing local issue as of late, according to residents, has been the temporary closure of a Trader's Joe's after a roof collapsed. One activity all locals recognize as treacherous is trying to buy a house. There's a lot of money and a lot of ego, one resident said. I've seen bidding wars where friends lost by $300,000. The Brodus's house was on the boulevard, a wide tree-lined street with some of the more desirable homes in the town, as the watcher had noted. Quote, the boulevard used to be the street to live on. You made it if you lived on the boulevard. Built in 1905, 657 Boulevard was perhaps the grandest home on the block, and when the Woods put it up on the market, they had received multiple offers above their asking price. That led the Brodises to initially suspect that the watcher might be someone upset over losing out on the house. But the Woods said... One interested buyer had backed out after a bad medical diagnosis, while another had already found a different home. In an email to the Brodises, Andrea Woods proposed another theory. Would the mention of the contractor trucks and your children suggest that it was someone in the neighborhood? The letters did not specifically indicate proximity. They had been processed in, the Kear- in Kearney, the U.S. Postal Service's distribution center in northern New Jersey. The first was postmarked June 4th, before the sale was ever made public. The Woods had never put up a before sale sign and only a day after the contractors arrived. Their innovations were mostly interior and people who lived nearby said they didn't notice any unusual commotion even from the jackhammering in the basement. When Derek and Maria walked Detective Lugo around the house, they showed him that the easel on the porch was hidden from the street by vegetation, making it difficult to see unless someone was right behind the house or right next door. After a few days, the first letter... Uh, Marie and Derek went to a barbecue across the street, welcoming them and another new homeowner to the block. The Brodises hadn't told anyone about the watcher as the police had instructed them, and found themselves scanning the party for clues while keeping tabs on the kids who ran guilelessly through a crowd made up of much of the suspect pool. 
We kept screaming at them to stay close, Maria said. People must have thought we were crazy. At one point, Derek was chatting with John Schmidt, who lived two doors down, when Schmidt told him about the Langfords, who lived between them. Peggy Langford was in her 90s, and several of her adult children, all in their 60s, lived with her. The family was a bit odd, Schmidt said, but harmless. He described one of the younger Langfords, Michael, who didn't work and had a beard like Ernest Hemingway as kind of a Boo Radley character. Derek thought the case was solved. The Langford house was right next to the easel on the porch. The family had lived there since the 1960s when the watcher's father, the letters said, had begun observing 657 Boulevard. Richard Langford, the family patriarch, had died 12 years earlier, and the current watcher claimed to have been on the job for the better part of two decades. When the Broduses told Lugo about the family, he said he already knew, and a week after the first letter arrived, he brought Michael Langford to the police headquarters for an interview. Michael denied knowing anything about the letters, but the Broduses said that Lugo told them that the narrative of what he said matched things mentioned in the letter. This isn't CSI Westfield, Lugo later told the Broduses. When the wife is dead, it's the husband. But there wasn't much hard evidence, and for a few weeks, the police chief told the Broduses that, short of an admission, there wasn't much the department could do. This is someone who threatened my kids, and the police are saying, probably nothing's going to happen. Derek said, probably isn't good enough for me. And after the second letter, Derek told the cops that if they didn't take care of the situation, they'd have a different kind of case on their hands. This person attacked my family, and where I'm from, if you do that, you get your ass beat. So they have a suspect, Kyle. Yeah, but uh, it doesn't sound like they're going to do a whole lot about it. The creepy Langford neighbor, which you can hit the nail on the head when you said probably somebody doesn't have a job. Yeah. So it's the only thing that makes sense with being able to put that much time in as far as watching them, you know. Yeah, definitely. Did they give an age on that person? Um, they by said chance? said in their sixties. In their sixties. Yeah. Because the, ma- the mother that lived there is in the 90s, and a bunch of children lived there with them in their 60s. Right, and I mean, I guess I was I could be right, too, that they wouldn't have had to work because they said it is a pretty wealthy town. Yeah. But I don't know. There's, a, there's Almost still, a million and a half dollars for a house. Yeah, and there's still a lot of uh, clues yet to be given. So. It'd be horrible to be in his situation and have this going on and the family being threatened and all this weird shit going on. And then they have a suspect and the police can't do anything about it. Uh, dude, I don't care. I wouldn't be trusting anybody in that situation. It'd be me and mine. Yep. And I'd be locked and loaded. He hit the nail on the head when he said asses get beat. It'd be a lot worse than that. You talk about my kids and that's where that would go. Yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know, it's insane. And just the, the gall of somebody... I don't know, it sounds like somebody's not right in the head or something way nefarious is going on. Yeah. And it might just be that more than one person is in on this. Yeah, it's crazy. So back into it. Frustrated, the Broduses began their own investigation. Derek became especially obsessed. He set up webcams in 657 Boulevard and spent nights crouched in the dark watching to see if anyone was watching the house at close range. Maria thought I was crazy, he told an interviewer at a Manhattan coffee shop where he sat with a table covered in documents relating to the case, including copies of letters which he told, which he and his wife had shared with only a few friends and family members. 
He had maps displaying when each of 657's neighbors had moved in. The Langfords were the only ones there since the 60s, with overlays marking possible lines of sight for the easel and a circle of approximate range of earshot to estimate who may have heard Maria yelling the kid's name only a few homes hit both criteria. The Brodises also turned to several experts. They employed a private investigator who staked out the neighborhood and ran background checks on the Langfords, but didn't find anything noteworthy. Derek reached out to a former FBI agent who served as the inspiration for Clarice Starling in The Silence of the Lambs. They were on the high school board of trustees together. They also hired Robert Lenehan, another former FBI agent, to conduct a threat assessment. Linehan recognized several old-fashioned ticks in the letters that pointed to an older writer. The envelope was addressed to M slash M Braddis. The salutation included the day's weather, warm and humid, sunny and cool for a summer day, and the sentences had double spaces between them. The letters had a certain literary panache, which suggested a voracious reader and a surprising lack of profanity given the level of suspected anger, which Linehan thought meant a less macho writer, possibly female. Maybe he wondered the Watcher had seen The Watcher, starring Keanu Reeves, as a serial killer who stalks a detective trying to catch him. Linehan didn't think The Watcher was likely to act on the threats, but the letters had enough typos and errors to imply a certain erraticism. The first letter was dated Tuesday, June 4th, but that day was actually Wednesday. There was also a seething anger directed at the wealth, the wealthy in particular. The watcher was upset by new money moving into town. Are you one of those Hoboken transplants who are running West, ruining Westfield? And by the Brodus's relatively modest renovations. This is from another letter. The house is crying from all the pain it's going through. You have changed it and made it so fancy. You're stealing its history. It cries for the past and what it used to be in the time when I roamed its halls. The 1960s were a good time for 657 Boulevard when I ran from room to room imagining the life with the rich occupants there. The house was full of life and young blood. Then it got old, and so did my father. But he kept watching until the day he died. And now I watch and wait for the day when the young blood will be mine again. Linehan recommended looking into former housekeepers or their descendants. Perhaps the watcher was jealous that the Brodises had bought a home that the writer couldn't afford. But the focus remained on the Langsfords. In cooperation with the Westfield Police, the Brodises sent a letter to the Langfords announcing plans to tear down the house, hoping to prompt a new response. But nothing happened. Detective Lugo brought Michael Langford in for a second interview, but got nowhere. And his sister Abby accused the police of harassing their family. Eventually, the Brodises hired Lee Levitt, a lawyer who met with several members of the Langfords family as well as their attorney, to show them the letters along with photos explaining how their home was one of the few with vantage points from which the easel could be seen. The meeting grew tense, Levitt told me, and the Langsfords insisted that Michael was innocent. One night, Derek had a dream in which he confronted Peggy, the eldest Langford, and demanded she build an eight-foot fence between the properties. Maria was having other kinds of dreams. One night, she woke up to an especially vivid one about a man who lived nearby. He was wearing these boots and carrying a pitchfork and calling the kids. I couldn't get to them in time. Maria said she thought almost anyone could be the watcher, which made daily life feel like it was navigating a labyrinth of threats. She probed the faces of shoppers at Trader Joe's to see if they looked strangely at her kids and spent hours Googling anyone who seemed suspicious. There were reasons to consider other suspects, though. 
For one thing, the police spoke to Michael before the second letter was sent, which would make sending two more especially rec reckless. The Brodesses say that Lugo told them they wouldn't receive any more letters after he, he spoke to Michael. Then there was the rest of the neighborhood to consider. The private investigator found two child sex offenders within blocks. Bill Woodward, the Brodus's house painter, had also noticed something strange. The couple behind 657 Boulevard kept a pair of lawn chairs strangely close to the Brodus's property. One day, I was looking out the window and I saw this older guy sitting in one of the chairs. He wasn't facing his house, he was facing the Brodus's, Woodward explained. But by the end of 2014, the investigation had stalled. The watcher had left no digital trail, no fingerprints, and no way to place someone at the scene of the crime that could have been hatched from pretty much any mailbox in northern New Jersey. The letters could be read closely for possible clues or dismissed as the nonsensical ramblings of a sociopath. It was like trying to find a needle in a haystack, said Scott Krause, who helped investigate the case for the Union County Prosecutor's Office. In December, the Westfield police told the Brodesses they had run out of options. Derek showed the letters to his priest, who agreed to bless the home. The renovations to 657 Boulevard, including, including a new alarm system, were finished within a few months, but the idea of moving in filled the Brodesses with overwhelming anxiety. Could they let their kids play outside or have friends over? Would they get a new letter every week? Derek priced out training German shepherds and posted a job on a website for military veterans. All you have to do is work out in the backyard every day. But the Brodesses hadn't bought 657 to feel bunkered in, bunkered in a fortress. At the end of the day, it came down to, what are you willing to risk, Maria said. We aren't going to put our kids in harm way, harm's way. Derek had been responding to occasional alarms at the house, sometimes in the middle of the night, bringing a knife with him just in case. They were so joyous about their new home, and within days, they were petrified, Bill Woodward, the painter, said. I'm a stranger, and Maria was crying and shaking in my arms. It didn't help that the watcher seemed to be getting more and more unhinged. Another letter. 657 Boulevard is turning on me. It's coming after me. I don't understand why. What spell did you cast on it? It used to be my friend, and now it's my enemy. I'm in charge of 657 Boulevard. It is not in charge of me. I will fend off its bad things and wait for it to become good again. It will not punish me. I'll rise again. I will be patient and wait for this to pass and for you to bring the young blood back to me. 657 Boulevard needs young blood. It needs you. Come back. Let the young blood play again like I once did. Let the young blood sleep in 657 Boulevard. Stop changing it and let it alone. The Brodesses have sold their old, old home so they moved in with Maria's parents while continuing to pay the mortgage mortgage in the property on 657 Boulevard. I had to do things like shovel the driveway, Derek said. Just picture that little indignity. I go at 5 in the morning, then come back and do it again at my in-law's house. They told only a handful of friends about the letters, which left others to ask why they weren't moving in. Legals issues, legal issues, they said, and wonder if they were getting divorced. They fought constantly and started taking medication to fall asleep. I was de a depressed wreck, Derek said. Maria decided to see a therapist after a routine doctor's visit that began with the question, how are you, and caused her to just burst into tears. The therapist said she was suffering from PTSD that wouldn't go away until they got rid of the house. Six months after the letters arrived, the Brodesses decided to sell 657 Boulevard. They initially listed it for more than they paid to reflect the renovations that had been done. 
but few worlds were more gossipy than suburban New Jersey real estate, and rumors had already begun to swirl why the house set empty. One broker emailed and s- to say her client loved it, but there were so many uns- unsubstantiated rumors flying around, ranging from sexual predator to stalker, that they needed to know more. The Brodesses sent a partial disclosure mentioning the letters to the interested buyers and told Coldwell Banker, their realtor, that they intended to show the full letters to anyone whose offer was accepted. Several preliminary bids came in well below the asking price, but the Brodesses weren't ready to take such a financial hit and only wanted to share the letters with likely buyers. No one got that far, even after they lowered the price. Coldwell agent who had read the letters told them in an email that they were being unnecessarily forthcoming my friend got a horrible threat got horrible threatening letters about her dog barking and she didn't even think to disclose it but the brodus has insisted i don't know how you live through what we did and think you could do it to somebody else derek said derek and maria thought about what they would have done had the previous owners told them about their letter from the watcher the woodses both retired scientists told the Brodesses that they remembered the letter they received as more strange than threatening, thanking them for taking care of the house. They say they never had any issues, we certainly never felt watched, Andrea told them, and they rarely even locked the doors. But the Brodesses felt the name alone was ominous enough to merit mentioning to a new family moving in. And on June 2nd, 2015, a year after buying 657 Boulevard, they filed a legal complaint against the Woodses, arguing that the Woodses should have disclosed the letter just as they had the fact that the water sometimes gets in the basement. The Brodesses say they hope to reach a quiet settlement, and their kids still don't know about the watcher. Their lawyer assured them, at most, a small legal newswire might pick up the story. We do some creepy stories, Tamron Hall said on the Today Show a few weeks later. This might be in the top ten creepy. A local reporter had found the complaint, which including snippets of the watcher's menacing threats, and after a belated attempt by the Brodesses to seal it, the story went viral. News trucks camped out of 657 Boulevard, and one local reporter set up a lawn chair to conduct his own watch. The Brodesses got more than 300 media requests, but with the advice of a crisis management consultant referred by one of Derek's colleagues, they decided not to speak publicly and spare their kids even more attention. They vacated Westfield and went to a friend's beach house. They didn't find much peace. Maria's grandfather had a heart attack, and the friend they were staying with had a grand mal seizure. Eventually, Derek and Maria sat down with their children to explain the real reason why they hadn't moved into their home. The kids had plenty of questions. Who is the watcher? Where does the person live? Why is this person mad at us? To which Derek and Maria had very few answers. Can you imagine having a conversation, that conversation with a five-year-old? Derek exclaimed, your town isn't as safe as you think it is, and there's a boogeyman that's obsessed with you. So to break up the monotony of this case, I am going to be a jerk and end it right there. Womp womp. Yeah, so we will make another episode to try to reach whatever conclusion there is of whoever's watching 657 Boulevard. And maybe spitball some uh, ideas as to what could possibly be going on. So I would not want to be in the Brodus' shoes right now. Not at all. you got someone threatening your children. You've just dropped a huge chunk of change on a new house. And you're basically being terrorized into not living there. Right. By an entity that you don't have any clue who it is. No. And for 
lack of better anything, I'm still trying to figure out what this is. Is it a psychopath in your neighborhood? Or... A disgruntled I mean, neighbor? Yeah, I mean, and then there's the the other aspect that my brain wants to feed into, like, movies. Is there something crazy sinister going on? You know? Because the person keeps making it sound like the house is a living ent- entity and that you're basically about to be life force for this said entity. It's, dude, it's crazy. It's It's way out in left field. I don't even know what's going on at no, all. It's definitely bizarre. But on that note, you can tune back in next week or two weeks, however many weeks it is, and see what else is going on with the Brodus family. Sorry about you. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, check us out on all our social medias, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Everything. At the Hollow Sky Podcast call us leave us something creepy so we can talk about it at one 800 or shoot us an email hey Kyle what's that email hollowskypodcast at gmail.com that's it so if you have any encounters you'd like to share with us we want you to share them with us so that's going to wrap up today until uh, next time Let's get weird.